0: Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the leadership development podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I am so excited to have two guests on the podcast today. With me on the episode, I have Brad Curry and Dr. Emily Davis. Brad has been an educator for more than 18 years as a coach, teacher, and administrator. He currently serves as a director of planning, research, and evaluation for the Chester School District in Chester, New Jersey. He's a trainer, blogger, presenter, and author of five books. Brad is also the co-founder and co-moderator of the weekly Twitter chat, SatChat. Emily for the past eight years has held research and leadership positions at Sanford and New Teacher Center while also working with districts and colleagues on developing school leadership development programs. Emily is a researcher, consultant, presenter, and author of two books, including the newly released book that was co-authored with Brad Curry, Tech Request, A Guide for Coaching Educators in the Digital World. Brad and Emily, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having us, Josh.
2: We're really pleased to be here.
0: And as you both know, this show is centered on leadership development. And since there's two guests on this podcast, I'm going to change the format just a bit. So Brad, I would love to hear your personal educational journey on how you went from the classroom to an administrator. My
1: entire life, I've been, I've been very fortunate to uh, be around tremendous uh, educators from, from the time I was a student in, in high school, being around great teachers and administrators that got me into the mindset that, hey, I want to be an educator at some point in my life, became a teacher. Again, very fortunate to be in a position where I was around great leadership. And as I was teaching, I got into this, this mindset that I want to become a leader. And So I went back to school, got my master's degree, and found my first job uh, in the Reddington Township School District as a, as a vice principal and athletic director. was there for a number of years and then transitioned uh, over to the Chester School District as a uh, supervisor of instruction, thinking student of students, uh, assistant principal, all kinds of different roles. And The last two years, I've been in central office as the director of uh, planning, research, and evaluation. Again, I've been very uh, fortunate to be around some great people. I just, you know, I try to help out those up and coming educators, people who want to become uh, leaders in their own right, um, the same way that other people helped me over the years. And, uh, and now my, my journey has kind of taken me a step step further collaborating with Emily on this book, Tech Request, and just taking uh, my leadership to the next level, more so on a, on a national and international stage. And uh, it's, just, it's a very exciting time for me and just in general being an educator.
0: And Emily, I'm going to have the same question for you. I'd love to hear your personal educational journey also.
2: Sure. Thanks for the question. I'm actually a fifth generation educator, so I have grown up around teachers my whole life but I actually kind of fell into administration by chance. Uh, Unlike Brad, it wasn't what I had intended to do. I had been teaching for eight years, uh, had been accepted to the doctoral program at the University of Virginia. And I was getting ready to leave my teaching position and, and go to the university full time. And I had an exit interview with our superintendent, which is something you can do when you work in a tiny little rural school district. And he only asked us two questions. What do you think we're doing really great right now? And what do you think we're doing poorly? And I had the audacity to answer him that I thought we were doing a terrible job of taking care of new teachers in our district. And it was really hard for kids who had this constant revolving door of teachers in their life. And it was really hard for veteran teachers who didn't want to be friends with new teachers because they were pretty sure they weren't going to be there for very long. And I said, thank you. And I left. And he called me back three weeks later and offered me the job to start a program to support new teachers in our district. I don't know how you pass up the opportunity to do something that you suggested to be an issue in the first place. So, of course, I said yes, and I built a program in our district to support new teachers while I was going to graduate school. We reduced teacher turnover by 60% in the three years that I ran that program, and I was hooked, and it changed the trajectory of my life. My doctoral work became about how you develop adult educators. It became very clear to me that it was about colleagues working together in smart ways that made differences in education. And so I uh, have been doing that kind of work ever since. I went from being a graduate student and a a director of a small induction program in our little district to being a researcher at Stanford and running uh, the induction program there. And from there to the new teacher center, where I held senior leadership roles, supporting other people in developing induction, mentoring, instructional coaching, and school leadership programs all over the country, as well as running a program of my own, where we supported 37 districts and charters and doing that work every single day. And now I have founded a company called the Teacher Development Network, where we are helping districts and states to improve the quality of pre-service field work as a strategy to improve teacher recruitment retention and quality. Um, And I think the other leadership role that I have is getting a chance to share this in a public way through writing. So writing books like the one that Brad and I just put out, writing a book called Making Mentoring Work about building induction programs, and uh, writing about some of the other important pieces around coaching and mentor development.
0: And Brad, in your transition from a teacher to administrator, what was your biggest misconception as you moved from the classroom to an administrator?
1: I think the biggest misconception is that you had to have all the answers, which you know, when, when you become an administrator and you get into it, don't have all the answers. All the smart people around you have all the answers. And so you really need to uh, tap into uh, all the, the great educators that you surround yourself with, use their their insight and their decision-making skills to make well-rounded decisions for your, for your school or district. And so it's really important as a leader to lean on those around you, whether it's support staff, teaching staff, other administrators, to do what's best for kids each and every day. And so, again, the the big misconception that I first had becoming a school-based administrator was that you had to have all the answers, and in reality, you don't You really don't, you need to go with your gut, that's for sure. And you need to do your research and get to know people and and know the history of your school, of your district. But really, you gotta, you know, depending on the situation, you really get it's a team sort of a concept, and you really have to come together each and every day and make a lot of decisions together. Different people making those decisions with you, but at the end of the day, it's a team effort and there's no way, even after 20 years of being an administrator, that you'll have all the answers. You just continually rely on others and, and come together and, and continue to promote the success of students each and every day.
0: And Emily, in your experience, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. I think a lot of us, when we start uh, down a leadership path, we have this belief, like Brad was talking about, that we have to know everything. And I think in reality, what we find out is that we have to build relationships. Uh, My former CEO used to say the three R's of this work are relationships, relationships, relationships. It's really about how you go about connecting with the people that you work with. It's about taking the time, even when you're incredibly busy, to listen And to seek to understand um, and to figure out common points of work and to start from that common place together and i think when we start we don't know that that's the case we think that we have to have all the answers we think we have to come up with all these big plans we think we have to move forward um, under our own steam and we don't realize that going together taking the time to go together is really how you get stuff done and keep stuff moving along
0: Brad, as you transition from an AP to a principal, what was the most difficult part of being a campus leader? Yeah,
1: so, you know, being a vice principal for the majority of my administrative career was very, very difficult at first. And then over the years, as you get comfortable and you know everybody and you get used to things, you then can have a somewhat of an impact. Um, which, you know, I would say the second half of my um, seven or eight years as a vice principal in two different districts, you know, I was definitely able to to be more than just a manager of a building. I was able to, to, to really lead and to, to get my hands in into a lot of things, whether it was technology integration, whether it was professional development, those sorts of things. I was really able to have an impact telling our school story branding our school and it really helped everybody and helped myself just become a better better leader and then when i transitioned you know i made the the unique transition from vice principal to central office so i kind of skipped the principalship Even though, gentlemen, I worked with Bob Mullen for a number of years in Chester, the principal, um, he would look at us as Mm -hmm. co-principals. But uh, I kind of skipped that uh, role and went right into central office. And to help guide a three-school district over the last uh, two or three years has been something special, something unique. As the director of planning, research, and evaluation, uh, I had my hands involved in everything, whether it's school safety, testing, uh, harassment, intimidation, and bullying. We have a really strong law here, HIB law in New Jersey, so you to need somebody to oversee that. Um, uh, I work with our instructional coaches all sorts of things and so uh, to, to really see it from that level uh, going from the, the classroom to the school and out to the district I've really uh, built my experience and uh, it's, it's just something neat to be able to impact every single one of our 1000 or so students and over 150 teachers uh, on a daily basis and, and uh, I really enjoy it I really do.
0: Emily, what is the largest barrier to the success of school leaders?
2: I think the largest barrier to the success of school leaders is the phrase, because we've always done it that way. I think that there are lots of good reasons why systems exist in schools and districts, and even at the state level um, and in other educational organizations. And it's really important for leaders to seek to understand what those reasons are and the history of why those things exist. But I think that education has the important task of figuring out how to grow and change so that we are supporting students in being ready for the world that will exist when they leave school, not the world that exists when we started school. Um, So figuring out how you can understand uh, what those systems, why those systems are in place, and then figuring out what is possible and how to work around those systems with a coalition of others is a really critical leadership skill.
0: And Brad, what are some characteristics that you believe every leader should possess in a similar role? I believe that
1: every leader, whether you're in a classroom, school, or district, you must be able to relate to other human beings. And, um, you know, it goes back to what Emily talked about with relationships. You have to be able to connect with people, to understand people, to be able to disagree in 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 a respectable fashion with people and explain things to people and have people explain things to you. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you know. Or, or how you're able to to uh, teach or lead. If you can't relate to people, um, it's it's going to be a, a long stretch there, and it's going to be uh, a short time for you as a leader um, if you can't connect with people. You know, another characteristic. I, I think you have to be a risk taker, um, especially um, in this day and age. There's so many different things that you can do. As an educator, whether you're in the classroom or or leading a school or a district, so many risks you can take that will prove uh, beneficial, prove to be a success, whether it's with technology or with some sort of other initiative, can really have an impact on on student achievement if if done correctly. So taking that risk, because when people see that, when the people around you see that, whether they're your colleagues, teachers, or or students or parents, when they see you taking risks as a leader, they're going to be more willing to take risks. And, and that's what you want, especially with your students and with your teachers. You want them to take risks, step out of that box, just just really try to do something different, do something special. And so I think it's important to take risks. It's important to be human. And um, another important characteristic is, is your ability to, as a leader, to be present, be in the moment. And yeah, you, know, you want, it's, it's important that you look ahead that you reflect on 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 the past but be in the moment deal with what you have to deal with then and there because when you're when you're a leader of, of a of a project of a building of a district you know things are happening all the time but you have to be present you have to be focused and people will appreciate you for that
0: and emily as a school leader how are we able to retain our excellent teachers
2: oh, that's easy. We have to coach them, right? We have to figure out how to grow them to be the best they can possibly be. Uh, I think that most of us as educators, I mean, the reason that I went back to graduate school, because I got to a place where I was pretty bored in my teaching. I was feeling good about what I did. I was feeling like There wasn't anything new, and I was looking for a new adventure. And I think that a lot of educators leave mid-career for the same reason. They don't feel supported. That's the number one reason we hear. They don't feel supported by their school leaders. They don't feel like they're having an opportunity to have the kind of impact that they want to have. And so they go looking for other opportunities. So we as school leaders have to figure out how to help them to have that opportunity. That means we have to look at each of them as an individual and say, what is it that I see about you that has potential and where are you excited and how do I help you to grow to be the best version of you possible? How do I figure out how to create those opportunities for you, whether that's going and making sure that they have access to national boards or pairing them with a technology coach or helping them to take on a coaching role, to take student teachers into their classroom, to take courses at the university, whatever it is that they need that's gonna keep them excited and enthusiastic because that's what kids need too, right? They need teachers who are excited and enthusiastic and continuing to learn, who want to be there with them every day. That's a challenging task for school leaders. We're busy with a lot of other things, but if we're not lead coaches first, we miss out on the opportunity to have a phenomenal staff who's really ready to work with all of our kids.
0: Brad, what is one initiative you've implemented on your campus or the district that you are extremely proud of?
1: I'm really proud of the one-to-one Chromebook initiative that, um, well, it's really not an initiative anymore. It's something that's you know come to fruition. It's a reality now. But when I started out in our district in Chester several years ago, probably six, seven years ago now, we were sharing carts at grade levels. Teachers and students were limited in terms of what they could do in the digital world. And we made a commitment. I think with my leadership, we made a commitment to, over the next four or five years, go one-to-one in grades two through eight. And so we started with the middle school four or five years ago, became one-to-one with Chromebooks. Um, And then a few years after that, we went one-to-one in fifth grade, then fourth grade, third grade. And now we're all the way down to second grade. To see what students are able to do with those Chromebooks as it relates to communicating, creating, collaborating is, is pretty neat I, I'm not saying we take it for granted now but it's just a part of what we do each and every day it's we don't even think about it it's you know the, the kids are solving math problems creating math problems they are coding they are designing uh, websites they're collaborating on a document on an essay they're working together on a, on the Google site and there's just things that um, it's is commonplace now that's that's what I'm proud of and we were and and one of the reasons why we're so successful with this one-to-one Chromebook environment is because of our technology coaches that we have in all three of our buildings um, and we talk about that in our book tech request uh, coming out in April to a bookstore near you, but uh, its uh, tech request is uh, talks about the importance of technology coaches and, and how they can help schools move from good to great in the digital world because we're spending a lot of money now on technology. Sometimes the support is not there. The book really highlights the, the important aspects of having coaches, not only technology coaches, but literacy coaches, math coaches that are well-versed in technology to help move teachers in in a positive direction where they can create an environment that's engaging for students with and without technology.
0: And Emily, for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them?
2: I think that a lot of folks decide not to go into leadership or they hesitate to go into leadership because they don't know what they have to offer. They think that they're not ready, that they're not smart enough, but I think what um, I hope that folks are hearing from listening to Brad and I is that there are lots and lots of different ways to lead in education, and if you have something that you are passionate about, having an opportunity to put your voice in the room and potentially be able to help solve that problem or make something better for your colleagues. Is an incredibly wonderful endeavor and so whether that means taking in a student teacher into your classroom stepping next door and helping coach somebody who's new to your building joining the leadership team or leaving your classroom and taking on a larger role at a school or district or state or whatever level it is that you're interested in there are lots and lots of opportunities for that and don't be shy we need more people who are willing to put their smart voices in the room to make education a better place for everybody
0: Brad, in addition to your in position, you speak at conferences, you blog, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond your district?
1: I was, uh, was actually talking about this in a Flipgrid Online class today um, I mentioned uh, Eric Scheninger and his impact on on my uh, career as as a young administrator. I just happened to stumble upon his session at a uh, state conference here in New Jersey. I wasn't intending on uh, attending his session, but at the last second, I said, "Ah, what the heck? I'll go. I'll go to the social media session." And at the time, this is like a 2011, 2012 Social media was and it wasn't anywhere near what it is today. Uh, in the educational world. So I sat in, in a session and I was just inspired by his story and what he has he did as, as, a, as a school leader with, with social media, in particular Twitter. And I'm like, you know what, I can do that. I can use Twitter to uh, help myself evolve as an educator. I can use Twitter to tell our, our classroom and school stories. From that point forward, I set goals for myself. I was able to, you know, really look at the power that social media has on education. It's it's just gotten me connected with so many people over the years. Um, had you know, had I not been on on Twitter and been a connected educator, you know, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now doing this podcast. I wouldn't have written the books that I've written. I wouldn't have been able to present at the conferences I've presented at. Um, and you know, the list goes on and on and on. That's I keep you know preaching to to pre service teachers and those who are new to the field of education and leadership that you know it's really important. It doesn't have to be on Twitter, but be connected, in some way, shape, or form. Share the knowledge that you have and, and learn from others and reflect on, on what you you're doing as an educator each and every day. It's it's really important to do that. So my journey is really in large part due to the the connections I've made on social media and because of of my involvement in social media over the years. Back in 2014, I was named an ASCD Emerging Leader, and at that conference, the uh, Leaders to Leaders Conference, I just happened to be sitting next to Emily Davis one day. We we hit it off. We connected. Um, I think her philosophy and my philosophy on education uh, are very similar. And uh, we've worked on a lot of projects over the years. And this is kind of the the culminating project here, this book, and kind of shares both of our passions. Um, and it's just something that uh, we're really proud of. And so that's kind of my my journey from being a, a disconnected educator to a connected educator to just trying to take advantage of opportunities and, and continue to evolve and, and and just enjoy being an educator.
0: And that kind of leads me to my next question. Emily, we've talked about the book a little bit during the podcast, but I want to give you a chance to give a synopsis of the book and share how it might help our aspiring leaders.
2: Great. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Um, So Brad and I have been thinking a lot about these two pieces of our work. As you're hearing, Brad is definitely an expert in the realm of educational technology. And I have expertise in the realm of coaching. And we've been talking for a long time about this big challenge that we know that districts and universities and other educational organizations have where they're spending a significant amount of money to invest in technology in the classroom, like the initiative that Brad was talking about. And yet what they're not investing in is the resources to support educators in understanding how to use this technology appropriately. So one of two things seems to be happening. Either this technology is gathering dust in the corner of the room, Or it's being used in less efficient ways. It's simply replacing things that they were doing paper and pencil, or it's becoming the new activity driven kind of um, environment in the classroom. So the intention of this book is to help districts, leaders, coaches who have the opportunity to support other educators in using technology in some way. That might be their full time job. They are tech coaches. Or it might be that they are um, staff who simply have the job of helping somebody else to figure out how to use technology as a part of their job to figure out how to do this work well. So it's kind of a choose your own adventure, but it's also you can go through it step by step and learn how to be a coach. So we start off at the beginning with chapter one, which is I'm a tech coach. Now what? So how do you think about this new role that you've been given. Um, How do you think about what that means for you, what your expectations should be, what that job description should be? How do you talk to other people about that job? We move into a second chapter called Tech Coaching 101 where we really talk about the basics of being a coach and how do you do that around technology. In chapter three, we talk about one-to-one coaching And really, how do you engage uh, with educators one-on-one in a way that puts strong curriculum first and technology second? And then we talk about some of the other things that happen, like coaching groups, coaching teams, running professional development. When those things are in place, then you can begin to think at a bigger picture. So we move into chapters around how do you think about gathering impact data for your coaching? How do you begin to understand that what you're doing is making a difference? And if not, how do you begin to shift that and then how do you stay ahead of the curve in a game that's constantly changing like technology is? And how do you begin to think about larger initiatives as tech coaches are often tasked with things that we call new world coaching? So if you work through this book from beginning to end, it can help you on your entire journey from start to finish of being a technology coach or a leader. And we really hope that this book will help uh, Anybody who reads it, whether an individual or an organization, and thinking about how to really harness the power of technology in the way that we all believe and hope that it should.
0: And in closing, Brad, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? Every day
1: I'm, I'm excited. I wake up. I'm excited to go to work. I'm excited to have some small impact on some aspect of a, of a student, of a, of a teacher's parent, of a, any school stakeholder's day. I really go to work trying to, to think of neat ways that we can have fun with, with learning, ways that we can uh, enhance uh, the learning environments that, that students are learning and that teachers are teaching in and just provide a, a well-rounded education, an education that I would want for my own children. Every day uh, I get to do that, and it's pretty neat. And to do it in a place like uh, the Chester School District with just the amazing uh, support that we have from our community, from our parents, to the amazing teachers, and, and most importantly, the awesome kids that we have, I'm very fortunate. Every stop uh, on my educational journey has been has been really special and uh, has taught me so much about uh, myself as an educator, um, but more importantly, you know, you know, the things that we can do for students to put them in a position to be successful, not only now, but when they become adults. It's just really neat. The, in the year 2019, the experiences we're able to put in front of kids to have gain exposure to different things, whether it's virtual reality, augmented reality, 3D printing, maker spaces. It's just it's just a neat time. We, As Emily said, we really need to leverage the power of technology in, a, in an appropriate way and in a way that can really impact uh, student achievement. I get to do it every day. I get to wake up and and uh, fight the good fight, you know?
0: (laughs) And uh, I'm going to start with you, Emily. How can our listeners connect with you on social media?
2: So you can connect with me on Twitter at MentorEmily. You can also find me on LinkedIn. And you can also visit our website for our company, Teacher Development Network, at www.teacherdevelopmentnetwork.com.
0: And Brad, how can our listeners connect with you on social media?
1: People can follow me on Twitter at TheBradCurry, and they can connect with me on LinkedIn, and they also can connect with me on my website, my blog, uh, thebradcurry.com. And you can also uh, visit my company's website, evolvingeducators.com.
0: And Brad, I want to talk real quick about SatChat. I know you talked about having educators connected on different social media formats, but on Twitter, will you just explain what SatChat is?
1: Sure. Um, it has nothing to do with SATs, as most people will um <laughs> not most people. Every once in a while, people say, "Oh, we're gonna talk about SATs." No, that's not what it's about. Believe it or not, this is gonna be our you know, coming up on our seventh birthday here wow. uh, for SAT chat. Uh, myself, Scott Rocco, and Billy Krakauer again connected on Twitter seven years ago. Scott kind of direct messaged me one day, said, "Hey, you know, let's start a Twitter chat." I was like, "What's that?" He's like, oh, I don't want you to see, it. at that time there was only like four or five uh, chats going on. There was Ed Chat and a couple others. I said, yeah, sure, let's have a chat. When should we do it? Uh, let's pick a time when kids aren't up yet. And so we decided 7.30 in the morning um, on Saturdays would probably the best time, even though my kids are up early anyway. But, oh, yeah, mine um, too. <laughs> so, yeah, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, we decided to do it. We started it out again in 2012 of April, 2012, 25 people came on. That was great. Talk about all kinds of topics. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to 2019, we can have anywhere from two to 300 people on, on a given Saturday coming on to SatChat, the hashtag SatChat, and just sharing their insight on whatever the topic may be. Last week, we talked about homework. In In April, Emily and I are going to be on guest moderating a discussion on uh, instructional coaches. You know, so it's a wide array of, uh, of topics that, that people are passionate about. Again, it's just another way that you can evolve as an educator to go through that stream of tweets and to see the different perspectives, various issues is is pretty neat um, and helps you become a better educator. So it's uh, just something that uh, kind of fell into our laps and um, it's it's really, really helped me grow as an educator. I think it's helped uh, hundreds if not thousands of other educators around the world grow as well.
0: Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from the show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Brad and Emily, thank you so much for being on the program.
1: Thank you, Josh.
2: Thank you so much.